Father, tune our hearts to your word as we hear wisdom. Make us wise, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. We're parenting, and if you're a young person, you're living in the most anxious generation in world history. Educators know it, healthcare professionals know it, people who work in emergency rooms, school counselors. They know that this generation, for reasons that we're only now beginning to understand, is shot through with anxiety and fear. Some of their dangers are real, some are imagined. But probably, if, if we were honest, probably, probably at least half of you would m- admit to an ongoing struggle with anxiety and fear. You can't keep your mind in one place. You can't focus. You can't enjoy the moment you're in because your mind is continually projecting outward toward other problems. The section of Proverbs that we're examining in Proverbs 23, right at the end of this little block of teaching, reassures both parents and children this. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs wants you to see from the outset that the hard things that it's going to share with you in these few verses I'm going to read and explore with you, the point is to assure you that there is a future. And anxiety says that there isn't. Fear says that there is a future, it's going to be miserable. That if you're hearing people tell you you've got your whole life ahead of you, some of you are hearing that you've got more time to blow it. That's what anxiety tells you. Being told that you have a lot of time and a lot of opportunity doesn't feel good when you're anxious and fearful, when you have doubts about the future, when you are quite sure that your hope is going to be cut off. So as you open the Bible to the book of Proverbs, and please do so, it's in the center of your Bible, and as you turn the pages, you're stepping back literally 3,000 years in time. And that's one of the difficulties in dealing with this kind of literature. It steps back across time and culture. The translation I'm reading even has a Hebrew word right in the middle of it that the translators didn't take the time to explain. I'll tell you why that is in a moment. It speaks of something that makes people flinch, especially if they came from abusive backgrounds. It speaks of correction and discipline. It speaks of using a rod. And that sends so many alarm bells off that some people are tempted to call Child Protective Services just on a reading of Proverbs 23. Give God your trust. Listen to his wisdom with an open heart. Because his intention in giving you this timeless wisdom is to make sure that you know that you and your children have a future If you're 13, 14 years old and shot through with anxiety for you to know that your hope is not going to be cut off. What we're talking about is parenting with wisdom and we begin in Proverbs 23 verse 12. Proverbs begins speaking to parents. Proverbs 23 verse 12 says, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. In other words... Listen up. I have a message for you, and you need to apply your heart to learn it. You need to apply your heart to instruction 
This is poetic. It says the same thing twice in different language. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. In other words, God has wisdom for you. He has direction for you. You, parent, you, grandparent, you with influence in the life of a child who's trying to influence and guide the next generation in a path that will be easier and better than your own, you need to listen. You need to turn your heart, apply your heart. You need to make an effort to hear instruction, to hear knowledge. Here's the first principle then. Parents, you parent with wisdom by doing this first. You need to get God's wisdom into your own heart first. The first and great task of parenting is not instructing your children. That's not where you start. You start parenting by being instructed yourself. And if you're not quite sure how to walk with God, if nobody ever did that well for you, if your memories are hazy, if they're painful, if you were treated with inconsistency or your life was marked by neglect, This is where you especially need to begin. This is where we all need to begin from the very start. God told his people that their first and best obligation was to enter relationship with him and love him. Listen to the way he explained it to them in a book of the Bible that's even older, the book of Deuteronomy. Here's the setting. Moses is going to die on the wrong side of the river. Israel's going to cross the fabled, famous river and enter the promised land alone. Moses has given them God's word, God's law, but he's not going with them. In fact, the parents of the people listening to Moses on this afternoon were so wicked and so rebellious that God let them die outside of the promised land. Now the children of slaves are going to go into unknown territory to learn to live as a nation all by themselves for the first time. Moses won't be there. Their parents won't be there. Here's what they're told. Read it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The beginning of life with God is loving Him. And these people didn't begin to understand what you and I can read in the rest of the Bible, that the God who loved them is going to love them to the extreme degree of giving his own son for them. That's what we taught your kids for five days. That God loved them so much, he not only made them in his image, that he loved them, that he eventually, in his own good timing, sent his son Jesus to live in their place as a substitute so that all your kids' disobedience, so that all of your disobedience could be covered up by the perfect life of Jesus. And if you're new to church and trying to figure all this out, please don't hear a message of try harder. That's not the gospel and the grace of Jesus. It's not a matter of what would Jesus do, but what Jesus already did in your place. He lived, we're told in the gospel of Luke, actually in his childhood, he was obedient to his parents. Wouldn't that be nice? 
Why did Jesus live perfectly and righteously his entire life, including his childhood, so that he could be a fitting substitute and savior for the likes of me, who didn't obey his parents very well, who nearly literally gave his dad a heart attack because of my stupidity when I was 16 years old. I mean, I watched my dad have heart trouble as he heard the news of what I'd done. Can you imagine how bad that makes you feel when you're sophomore, junior in high school? For all my foolishness, for all my wickedness, God sent his son. They don't even understand the fullness of God's love. And they're told in Israel, here's where life begins. Here's what life is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. Not just on your lips, but in the middle of your life. And then it turns. To the next generation. Read this with me. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. See the emphasis? You start first, mom. You start first, dad. You put yourself in a position so that you've learned to love the Lord your God with everything you have. And once his word is in your heart, once you have love and loyalty to him first, then you turn and you teach these same things to your children and you do it diligently. And look when and how it's done. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And vacation Bible school was not even mentioned. How's that supposed to work? Well, see, there's a really practical thing here, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma. Your children can be taught of God, taught his word at all times in various places, but where it matters most is your own home. When you take the trials of life and you, your kids, watch you turn to God with trust, with humility, with love, rather than resentment, rather than anger, rather than fear, that's when they learn the most and the best what it means to love God. What I'm trying to say is simply this. The most loving thing you can do for your kids is to love God yourself. And if you're new to all this and the content of your spiritual life really is just trying to pray throughout the day and read the Bible when you think about it, and come to church and hear a sermon that you understand about half of it, if that's where you are, honestly, the reason our church exists is to meet you wherever you are and walk that path with you. All this community is, is a group of people who Jesus has saved by his death and resurrection, who passed from death into life, and we're learning together to love God ourselves, and we want to help you do the same. But the single best thing you can do for your kids does not involve their education or getting in the right sports club or having the right GPA and gaining admission to the right college. All of those things matter, but they fade. The best thing you can do for your kids is to love God yourself. Then it gets really practical and to modern ears a little bit awkward. Look in verse 13. Still talking to parents. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. 
Do you hear the awkward laughter? <laughs> if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. That's, there's that Hebrew word that was untranslated that I told you about. What's going on here? Here, Proverbs begins to talk about the unpleasant task of discipline. And when you hear the wisdom of God's word, we live in such an anti-authoritarian age. So many people were abused. So many people were neglected. So many people were treated with harshness that the very concept of disciplining a child just sounds horrifying. The biblical concept of discipline, if you want to write this word down to keep it in your Bible reading for the rest of your life, the biblical concept of discipline is not the concept of punishment, it's the concept of training. It's to teach a child or an adult that does not know better at that point that there is a path of wisdom in which he can walk. That there's latitude in that path, but there's ditches on either side that both result in his harm or his death. And this word rod here that causes the most alarm, I don't have time to go into the specifics and walk all across Proverbs. We'll do a couple places. But rod is both literal, what we called in the old days a spanking, and it's also symbolic of instruction and correction of all ages, of all seasons of life that sets boundaries for the person that's being instructed and said, you can go this far, but no further. And when you go farther than that, there will be consistent consequences. So what this little block of teaching is, te is showing us, number two, is this. Parents need to have the loving courage to consistently discipline, in other words, to consistently train their kids. And every word in that sentence is carefully chosen. Because if you discipline your children without love, they will feel the harshness and it will enter into their hearts and harm them. But if you withhold discipline from your children because of your own fears, because of your fear of doing it wrong, because you're reflecting on your own neglect or abuse, and you withhold discipline because the kid might be manipulating you. I don't know if that's ever happened in your home. It happened twice in ours. One per child where they tried to manipulate us out of something. Only twice. And if you believe that, I'd, well... Don't make any big investments or big purchases if you're in the state of mind that you believe it only happened twice in our home. It takes loving courage to consistently train or discipline your children. And Proverbs says here what is at stake is his soul. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Why is that in Hebrew? Why they translated everything else? Why not that? Well, in this specific case, the word is so broad that sometimes the translators just kind of leave it in the original language and let the reader figure it out. If you have the NIV translation, it's well translated. It just says death. Sheol in the Hebrew Bible was the place of the dead. In other words, it's death that can come in all of life, including the worst kind of death, which is separation from God. The New Testament will call with clear language hell. 
But your children and your own life is in chronic danger of death every time you walk away from God's path. Wherever you're not honoring and walking with God, in that portion of your life you can suffer harm and even death. I read a news story just this morning. I got an early morning call from a friend I love dearly who's in pretty decent amount of trouble. And the trouble he's in just set me to reading. And I read the story of a 21-year-old man unrelated to his situation. But a 21-year-old kid says, my life is ruined. You ever felt that way? It can happen. And what these verses are urging upon the person is, if you discipline your child, if you correct your child at whatever age, in whatever way is appropriate and shows him love and sets those boundaries, you won't actually kill him. What you'll actually do is spare him from death. Because what kids love to make you believe is if you maintain firm boundaries beyond which there are consistent consequences, you're the worst, most unreasonable person in the world. And there's never been another like you, certainly not at your kid's school. Because your child is the only nitwit that cannot do these series of amazing things that all his friends do. Or you're the only unreasonable person that drags your kid to do other things that his friends never have to put up with. And what your child needs actually is the very thing when he begins to experience it that he will protest against the most. He needs consistent boundaries because in that he will feel safe. And biblical discipline and instruction, the Bible says as much, doesn't always feel good. It's never celebrated by the person receiving correction. But in the long run, it produces a harvest of peace and joy and freedom because one of the things the Bible consistently teaches you is that discipline leads to freedom. And discipline leads to joy. And some of the best parenting advice I've ever received in my life, I've told the story so many times, I won't bore you, most of you, with the backstory. But my father-in-law, who raised three amazing daughters, said this. All of his parenting, his philosophy was, as soon as his children defied him and disobeyed him, he said, I corrected them as soon as possible so that we could get on with it and enjoy the rest of our day. Did you hear the last part? This isn't threatening. And I've told you, and I'm not going to tell you again. Please stop saying that. Okay, this is just, again, I'm making a very specific application. Please stop saying, and please, if I may, please stop counting. Some of you will be probably hurt and offended, but I I don't know of anyone specifically in our church that that does this, but I see it all the time. I'm going to count to three. One. Have you seen this? Two. You know what you're actually training your child to do? To disobey you for as long as possible. And what the child is doing actually is like a baseball player faking like he's going to steal second. Oh, I hear the syllable of the word three. I guess I'll stop. You're actually training a child to put off obedience as long as they possibly can escape with it without consequences. It's not a good lesson. Listen, parents, what you're after, and I'm nearly done, is this. You're not after compliance. You're after obedience.
Those are different things. Law enforcement can secure compliance. In fact, they'll keep sending cops until they do. That's not obedience. Obedience comes from the heart. That's why a parent needs to love the Lord, his or her God, with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then turn to his child, and with whatever instrument is appropriate, with reason, with wisdom, with spankings, with corrections, with timeouts, with whatever works at that age, whatever works with that child, you maintain such rigidly consistent boundaries and discipline that the child in a chaotic world that makes him anxious knows that there's one place in his life where things are always the same. That he can always depend on his parent to provide consistency and predictability with his own life. And what you're after is joy. You're after that hope and that future. Look at the rest of these Proverbs. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Read this with me, please. It says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. In other words, if you spare your child consequences, training, if you spare him discipline, you're actually acting as if you hate him. And kids are pretty good at convincing you that if you actually discipline them and put those boundaries and those consequences down and enforce them, that you're the worst person in the world and you must hate them and you don't. That's how you express your love to them. Proverbs 29, verse 17 says this, Discipline your son and he will give you... What? Parents of young kids, did you hear that? I had two different dads tell me a different version this morning as I was in the parking lot. They came in a little bit late. I did too because I was out there talking to them, making sure people could find their way in. Sometimes like watching refugees come into church. You know, people are just so tired getting that car seat out of the car. It's like, we made it here. He's yours. You, you take him for a while. It's, it's pretty amazing, actually. So I'm out there kind of an emotional first responder, making sure that people find their way to the classes. And just so relieved to get little Johnny off their hands for even 75 minutes. What a joy. We should, maybe we should stop and pray for the teachers right now. But let me show you the future of discipline. Let me show you what it yields. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. A lot of parents don't discipline their children when they're in the home because they want rest. And they just let Netflix keep streaming. They let the kid lock himself in with his video game. They let him run off with his dumb friends. And let him bury himself in whatever he's into so long as the parent is left alone and the parent can get some rest. You choose rest while you're parenting, you'll have no rest later. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. More than that, he will give, you, he will give delight to your heart. By God's grace and primarily the diligence of their mother, this is where we are right now as a family. I don't take it for granted for even one more day. I pray to God for it every single day in the lives of my sons. But right now they give delight to my heart. 
There are not two men in the world I would rather spend time with than my own boys. How did that happen? All the discipline, all the prayer, all the tears, all the pleading, all the sleepless nights on both sides, I'm sure. Now we're in a sweet time where they delight my heart. And on occasion, I catch both of them being better men, better Christians than I was at their age, and sometimes better Christians than I've been to this point. And there's nothing greater, there is no greater joy than seeing your kids love God, stand firm, resist temptation, keep their integrity, when they have enough choice and enough resources and enough strength to figure it out on their own. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Finally, Proverbs begins to paint a picture of what that rest and delight looks like. Look in verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. And here's the final principle of parenting in this little block of Proverbs. There are other influences on your children besides your own. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Let not your heart envy sinners. What's that about? Well, a third party has entered the conversation. So far, Proverbs has been speaking first to parents, saying, Parents, make sure you love God. Do not withhold discipline from your children, because if you do so, you'll actually lead them on to death. They'll race along in their foolishness. Apart from God, they'll race along to their own death, and you'll be a party to it because you did nothing to restrain them, nothing to correct them. Don't do that. Discipline, train them instead. If you do... You can rejoice, you can rest, you can enjoy it later. But in verse 17, the parent turns to his child and says, let not your heart envy sinners. In other words, there are people all around you who behave like fools, who have no relationship with God, who don't take him into account, who may not even believe he exists. Don't envy them. Let's think for a second. 21st century, how do people come to envy the lives of other people, even if those lives are actually wicked and foolish? How does that happen? I hear murmuring, but I can't, I can't pick up any actual words. What window do we currently have into the lives of others who may be living very far from God, but present a lifestyle that make us say, ooh, that'd be cool. Did you hear it? Internet, social media, absolutely. It paints a literally curated, photoshopped, heavily filtered window into foolishness. And a child can say, man, my parents are a drag. Look at this guy. He doesn't have to put up with any of this stuff. His life is amazing. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear. That means reverence of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. What's the principle here? And it's picked up all across the Bible, actually. The principle number three is this. Your last task as a parent, and one of the most important, is this. Number three, teach them, teach your kids 
to choose friends for the road that they'll travel without you. One of the most painful seasons of parenting is when you're no longer cool to your kids. Happens in the teenage years. What's happening there? Well, your child is beginning a painful but necessary journey to becoming his own person. When he was little, he thought you could do anything. Your child would bring you, mom or dad, something was smashed into microbes and atoms. Scoop it up with his little hands and say, fix it. Nope, can't do it, buddy. They thought you had all the money in the world. They thought you knew everything. And then on one, one day it dawned on them that you actually don't. And dad's no longer cool and the eye rolls and the sighs start. And suddenly some knuckle-headed kid you've never heard of, suddenly he knows everything. She knows everything. She's cool. She defines what life is. That's important. That's necessary. That's inevitable. They will pull back from you and choose companions for the life they're beginning to live. Your task as a parent, when that begins, is to show them the end of the road, to show them the picture that awaits them on the path that they're currently on so that they may choose wisely. Look what, look what another proverb says regarding that choice. It says this, the companion of fools, Proverbs 13, verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools, what? We were only joking, but when one of my boys was an early teenager, he had some friends. They were good kids, actually, but thank God it never got too wild. But it seemed that each of those boys was highly intelligent and pretty wise and principled on their own. But when they got together, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We affectionately called that effect the vortex of stupid. It's like a little island was created of just complete nonsense around them. But in retrospect, they were actually kids who loved the Lord. And they kept encouraging each other and they talked each other through some very difficult things in which parents didn't know because we weren't made privy to what was really going on. That's going to happen. So don't let your children escape without your input, your zealous prayers for them that they will choose wise companions for the journey because whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will always suffer harm. Where do you begin? You begin today. If you're not in step with God and you know it, if all this talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart has felt more like a guilt trip, more of conviction than encouragement to you, you start right there. Mom, Dad, you only have to be one step ahead to lead. You can read the Bible for yourself. You can learn to pray in a way that you know that God hears you and answers you. You can get out a few steps ahead of your kids, not too far ahead of them so that they lose sight of you, close enough to show them the way so that they can still put their hands on you. You can lead your family, lead your little group of kids, lead in your marriage if you have one in such a way that shows that you love the Lord with everything you have. 
Then you begin day by day with an apology if necessary, asking your kids for forgiveness that you haven't been consistent. You have often been harsh. Perhaps you've been entirely too permissive. I don't know your situation, but you do. And if your kids are anywhere near 8, 9, 10 years old or older, they know the truth. Kids aren't dumb. They're taking it all in. So if your life and your parenting hasn't been what it should be, and who among us could say that it has, start with God. Follow with them. Ask their forgiveness if necessary, and then tell them and commit yourself to God that you're going to put your feet on the path of wisdom. That you're going to discipline them, not with anger and retribution and harshness, but you're not going to succumb to fear anymore and be afraid to put off boundaries for fear that it will lose them your love. On the contrary, you're going to be as consistent as you can, God giving you help, so that you will know how safe the world that you've created and the bond of your family actually is. That the prodigal, if necessary, can always come home. That a child who is frightened and anxious and maybe bullied everywhere else can always find strength and comfort and can always tell the truth at home because genuinely there is love. Wherever you are, your next step forward is wisdom. The point of this sermon is this, for the best possible future. What you need to do is begin with God's wisdom. For the best possible hope and future for your children, choose to walk in God's wisdom right now. This church is a family. We're not just a crowd. This isn't a theater. This isn't a TED Talk with a Bible. We're a community. Some of you have come alongside me and put your shoulder underneath the burden of life that's hurting and crushing me. And I'm here standing in front of you again because I've had that love and support. Other times it's been the turn of the family, mine or somebody else's, to come alongside you and love you and support you in this grand journey. So humbling, so infuriating, so exhausting, but let me show you the future. So filled with joy and hope for your kids, you're not alone. The God who made your children and gave them to you loves them more dearly than you could ever imagine. That's why he sent Jesus to die for them and for you. And if you will humbly commit yourself to God and say, God, with the time, life, and resources I have, I want to do my best for my kids' good and for you to receive glory, he'll honor that every single time, no matter where you are on the road and where your kids are this morning. Let's pray. Could I ask you, mom or dad, just to turn to the Lord in a moment and just ask for his help? You need it. You may not know how much, but you need it. And this message wasn't all about Jesus. It was about wisdom in parenting. But your heavenly father loved you and your family so much that he sent his son to die so that you could all have eternal life with him. If you haven't made sure of that, you have questions about that. Or this morning after hearing the gospel many times, maybe other places, you're finally ready to surrender to God and ask Jesus to be your savior.
please do so now. Whatever need you have, if you'll let us know on the card, if you'll just write your contact information and the word parenting somewhere on there, I'm going to do my personal best. I'm going to work with some other wise people who are stand ready to help you. And we'll pray, we'll encourage, we'll walk it together. We'll see the greatest kids that this generation has yet to see. Father, thank you for thank you for the students behind me. They represent so much hope, so much joy. They've shown so much commitment this week in serving children through music. Bless the parents that are here, Lord. Lift the spirits of the one who is most discouraged. That mom that feels so alone, so bereft, so unsupported, so discouraged, encourage her, Lord. You are her heavenly father if she's trusted Jesus. You have such a bright future for her children. For the single dad or the troubled marriage or the good marriage that's simply tired of the struggle. Bless, strengthen, encourage, give wisdom, give humility, Lord, to seek counsel. So that the adults, the parents in this room would have friends for the journey as well. And this offering, Lord, help us give generously. Whenever and however we give, digitally or paper, in present and in person. Lord, thank you for the generosity of this church that makes all of its work possible. We do it together. We do it in your name. It's for your glory. So receive all of this with our thanks in Christ's name. Amen.